folks, and welcome to a special holiday episode of Return to the Telepodcast, a show about shitty horror movie sequels, prequels, reboots, remakes, uh, other stuff. Yes. I'm Bryce Patterson, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kevin Serrano Echevarria. Hello. I'm me. (laughs) (laughs) Happy, uh, happy holidays, Kevin. Thank you. I love how you say, uh, happy holidays. Uh, when we're both going to be talking about exclusively Christmas movies and how both of us celebrate Christmas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I, I feel like there's, like, some part of me that, like, wants to be inclusive but at the same time as, like, we're talking about Black Christmas. So, right. like, we're going to be on a very specific holiday. Yeah. If if there were more uh, well-known, like, horror movies about Hanukkah or any other winter holiday, we would love to do that. Uh, unfortunately, there are none. Yeah, I would love a good, like, Festivus slasher. Uh, just Jerry Seinfeld killing people. I'd love that. Yeah, I'm up for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, uh, so as I mentioned, this week we are looking at Bob Clark's 1974 cult classic, Black Christmas. And then we're also going to look at the 2006 remake and the 2019 reboot. So I guess to start, Kevin, what what's your history with these films? So I don't have any. I, wa- I watched the uh, Black Christmases. Christmas Eye, Christmas Ease, mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, for the first time uh, for this podcast, uh, like a few, well, a few weeks ago, uh, I knew about them. I knew that there were like horror movies set in Christmas, but that was literally it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know how like widely seen Black Christmas is at this point. I feel like it's like known, but like mm-hmm. it's not like on the level of popularity as like Nightmare on Elm Street or Friday the 13th. Yeah, on the... The sense that I get, and I don't know if this is necessarily true, but my, my, my feeling is it's almost like if you're someone like us that's kind of a nerd about horror very specifically and kind of the history of it, it's mm-hmm. interesting as yeah. like a, an influence on John Carpenter's Halloween, you know, oh, yeah. just being a slasher before the time we generally think of slashers as oh, existing. Yeah. yeah, it's odd that the, uh, Black Christmas came out before Halloween. Like there was some yeah. horror movie around Christmas before there was one about Halloween. Yeah, yeah, and I also, I don't know if this is the first, like, Christmas-themed horror movie. Right. But it's definitely, yeah, it's got to be one of the earliest ones, yeah, for sure. I'm pretty sure, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I had seen Black Christmas once before, a couple of years ago, I watched it around Christmas time, just, like, alone at my folks' house. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a movie, I, you know, I'm sure we'll get into this more, but I think it's a movie that is good in a lot of ways and also has some some failings to it as well yeah. but i think it's really interesting and there's a couple moments that i think are really really haunting yes. in it the uh the time where we see the killer's eye and he's like don't tell them what we did for me is like whoo <laughs> i love that there's a lot of eye imagery especially in the original one yeah absolutely a lot of eyes yeah Kids have eyes but christmas the elves have eyes the elves maybe. have eyes Cool. Well, uh, then I'm going to hop right into our summary. Uh, and we're, we're going to summarize the original. We'll summarize the, the reboot from 2019. And we'll talk just briefly about the differences between the 2006 remake. Because yeah. on, a, on a narrative level, it's not... It, nothing huge has been changed. Not really, no. Cool. So, Jess and her sorority sisters are staying at their college house over Christmas when they start getting obscene calls from an unknown person. One of the students, Claire, 
is murdered and her body gets stashed in the attic. When Claire's father arrives the next day to take her home from college, um, he's really concerned because no one knows where she is. At the same time, Jess tells her boyfriend Peter that she's pregnant and is going to have an abortion. And he doesn't take the news well. He's very kind of aggressive about it. And at some point in the film, he actually proposes marriage. The police are, are hesitant to act on uh, the missing case because Claire hasn't been gone for very long and they assume she's just with a boyfriend or something. But when a local high school girl is also reported missing and then found dead, the police start to take notice. One by one, several of the sorority sisters are murdered, including the house mother, Mrs. McHenry, who's the best character hands down in all three. She's amazing. The house continues to receive obscene phone calls and these reference two children, Agnes and Billy. When the call is traced, the police realize it's coming from inside of the house. (gasps) Jess sees the eye of the killer through a door and flees to the basement. Peter shows up, breaking through a window to get into the basement, and Jess kills him with a fire poker. Believing that the killer has been caught, the police sedate Jess and put her to bed. But in the attic, we can hear a voice, and the film ends with a phone ringing. So, yeah, so for this one, but since we're doing, you know, a remake and a reboot, Mm -hmm. I think it'd be worth talking about, you know, like, what makes this a classic, and then also what could potentially be improved on in in retelling the same story. Mm, I getcha. So I feel like what makes it a classic really is... Again, and I feel like I said this for um, Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, but it's like and Halloween. But it's like one of the uh, really early slasher films mm-hmm. that really like set the genre up. Um, it, it it to like have like a horror movie set in a college and especially in a sorority. I feel like is already like a pretty big trope. Uh, but like I feel like this movie like kind of just started that whole cycle. Also, I feel like the Having the killer not being known uh, at the end, I feel like, is something very different, even from, like, future slashers. Yeah, no, I think it both, like, creates the template that a lot of slashers follow afterwards, Mm -hmm. but does it in an interesting way. Both, I think, the being said at Christmas is, like, by itself, I think, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, puts it into a very niche subgenre. Mm-hmm. But then also, yeah, that, that we end on that sort of question of, of really not knowing, like, what happened or why, I think is, yeah. is really fascinating. Yeah. There's no figure to, like, attach, like, everything that's been happening to. There's no, like, Michael Myers or Freddy Krueger or anything. It's just some killer. Yeah, well, and even the way that we experience the killer we you know we start with a pov shot that's really similar to the initial uh you know the opening of of, of halloween um but we we never actually see the killer in full form we see his eye in one scene Mm -hmm. that like again i think is deeply chilling yeah um and otherwise yeah he's just kind of this this voice and kind of a force within the house Mm -hmm. and so it has a maybe borderline paranormal feel in the end, not because of what, I guess, you know, the characters discuss or what's set up by the plot necessarily, but just because we don't really know anything. And yeah. so he is, he feels spiritual in a way, I right. guess. Yeah. It's very much an aura of like spirituality or like an aura of uh, paranormal weird shit happening, but it's never like actually like set out right that this is like 
weird Michael Myers disappears at the end for like sort of a uh, paranormal stuff happening. Yeah. Yeah. Well, keeping on the, the kind of slasher side, you know, I think this is a really good example of like, it's very much a film about kind of like the loss of innocence yeah. or sort of, you know, this, this uh, dad comes to the sorority house and there's like obscene posters everywhere. And, um, you know, the girls curse like sailors and stuff. And there's he's a really lot shocked. of drinking as well. Yeah. A lot a of lot. drinking. Um, and, and so I think it, it sort of sets up this kind of, um, not knowing what your kids are doing in the sense that they could be in danger, which I think is very much continued by later slasher films. Yeah. Yeah. It's also, uh, very much goes along with the, uh, sinful women get killed <laughs> first sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though like the first girl wasn't really all that bad like the pretty much every other girl that like gets killed is like either extremely horny or extremely drunk <laughs> yeah though it's interesting because i yeah i think the first girl to die is the one that she feels like, very yeah. like kind of virginal yeah it's um, kind of like what we who would expect to be the final girl but she gets killed right and it's it, it feels like you know before the final girl even existed it almost right. is subverted here which i think is really interesting it is yeah and even um, Jess, as uh, you know, who does end up being kind of the final girl yeah. and so, sort of the main character, uh, is obviously not innocent uh, yeah. in this in this film. Um, yeah, I think it's really interesting that it's a slasher movie from so it's from nineteen seventy four. Mm-hmm. Um, so what a year or two, yeah, a year or two post Roe v. Wade. Yeah, uh, which it's a Canadian film, so I'm not sure what the equivalent kind of era in Canadian mm-hmm. history would be. But I think that's a pretty ballsy move yeah, for a film like this. Very obviously, like, post-sexual revolution. Yeah. Uh, in that, like, a lot of the women are very, like, free. I don't want to say, like, free, but, like, they're much more um, assertive or much more uh, independent uh, in their personalities and, like, in their way of being. They can kind of, like, use their sexuality uh, a lot more, a lot more freely, I would say. Yeah, yeah. When I think the film itself doesn't make any judgment around no, Jess's decision to get an abortion, right? right? And we are on her side. I, maybe like particularly, you know, us in 2022, we're very much yeah. on her side. But I think yeah. the film, you know, uh, her boyfriend, Peter, we dislike pretty strongly throughout. Yeah. And he's not really presented as justified or right. And I think that's really impressive for a film of this era. Oh, I know. I agree. Like, even just mentioning having an abortion... Uh, for a film of that era is like pretty big it's a pretty big deal mm-hmm. uh, to like portray this abortion as like an actual like reasonable option for a woman to have on her own uh who's unmarried mm-hmm. uh is like really really groundbreaking i would say yeah 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 it's also i think so it's one of the first films to use the whole uh the calls coming from inside of the house oh yeah, yeah. uh shtick which you know, I think has its roots in kind of older, um, not necessarily like much older, but the um, kind of urban legends mm-hmm. of, of, of the era. And I, I think that there's something about, again, like this as like a historical piece, you know, it's one of the early films to do that. It's one of the early films to use a Christmas setting for a horror story and potentially the first slasher. Yeah. Uh, I know some folks would argue that Psycho is a slasher, but for me, I don't... Not really. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I, I think it's. I think it's kind of different. Um, this to me is kind of like the first slasher in yeah. my mind. Yeah, I feel like slasher. You need to have like a kind of like an Agatha Christ, 
like an Agatha Christie, like, uh, fuck, what's that book called again? Uh, and then there were none. And then there were none, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You need kind of that where, like, people just, like, start getting killed, like, one by one until there's only, like, a few people left. That's kind of what, I, I feel like that's kind of at the core of what a slasher is. Yeah, yeah, when there's something about kind of a group of wild young people sort of facing, a, you know, a, a murderous force that's beyond anything that they can kind of contend with. Right. I, I think is really, really fundamental, and that's not really what I see happening in something like Psycho, no, say. Not really, no. And this is, uh, what, I think a year after the original Texas Chainsaw, but mm-hmm. I also... I also don't really think of Texas Chainsaw as a slasher. I think of it as a proto-slasher. Mm-hmm. It very much has like a lot of the elements of a slasher, um, but it's still not like completely developed yet. Yeah, you know, I think you and I talked about this recently, that like in my mind, part of what makes a slasher feel like a slasher is that it's people being hunted, yeah. versus in Texas Chainsaw, it's sort of people bumbling into Leatherface's house and then being yeah. murdered by him kind of over and over. Yeah, no, I kind of, I pretty much agree with that. I feel like um, in order for a slasher to be a slasher, it needs to be like people being victimized, I would say, uh, while in Texas Chainsaw. Kind of feels more like um, fucking Leatherface is defending himself more than anything else. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like maybe we're getting into like an absurdly like niche <laughs> sort of sort of setup, but but yeah, in my mind, this kind of before Halloween really codified these things, mm-hmm. kind of codifies these things. Yeah. Yeah. The 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 one other big thing that I have for for this film is just that I think it has like a pretty good sense of humor. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like I I my, I think my one of the funniest scenes was when. Well, one of the girls was, like, telling one of the police officers, like, what the extension for a phone oh, number yeah. was, and she says it was, like, phallic. Oh, it's fellatio. Fellatio, that's right, fellatio. Uh, and then the police officer doesn't know what that means, so he just writes it down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, there's, like, the, the house mother, um, is, she, like, has booze hidden all over the house. and. When uh, Claire's father arrives to, like, take her home from college, she keeps, like, kind of, like, leaning against the wall to hide obscene posters and stuff. Um, And I think it's one of the earliest horror films that I've seen that has, like, a consistent sense of humor to it, you know? And so I think that gives it that fun sort of back and forth of, like, you know, it'll make you, it'll scare you, it'll make you laugh, you know? And, And it kind of... And has some pathos to it as yeah. well, I think. Like, I think it has, like, an emotional range that maybe I haven't seen that much from films before maybe something like Halloween, where you have both, like, the humor and right. the slasher elements. Yeah, it has, like, kind of the campiness of horror that I feel like in the late 60s, 70s was kind of lost with, like, Texas Chainsaw. Cause I don't really call Texas Chainsaw a campy film at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, like, it has kind of that campiness that you see in, like... Um, dracula or frankenstein where it's just like almost over the top at some points or like trying to be comedic at some points but it isn't like overbearing Mm -hmm. yeah no i think that's i think that's really fair so on the other side what what do we feel like a remake could fix you know or, or what are the opportunities for growth in a remake so I don't think I would want to have, like, a remake that, like, attempts to fix issues in the movie. Because I don't feel like there's any, like, major issues in the original uh, Black Christmas. I feel like it's a really good uh, horror film just the way it is. Mm-hmm. Um, if I were to, like, make a kind of remake, 
I don't know. I feel like a director like Robert Palma making a Black Christmas would be amazing. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Like, let me turn that off, actually. Oh, yeah. I figured out I can do that now. Oh, nice. I know, right? Listeners, Kevin is just quickly turning off the heating in his apartment so we don't get a bunch of background noise. Yeah. But, yeah, so so De Palma, so you're, you're thinking about that kind of maybe just, like, more masterful level of craft and, yeah. and budget? Yeah, no, I feel like uh, having, like, these, like, very classic, like, De Palma-like split-screen shots... Of, like, uh, a, a sorority girl getting murdered and, like, the party that's happening outside of her dorm room or her room or whatever mm-hmm. while she's getting murdered. I feel like it would be a great, a great sort of, like, thing to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's really, like, on, like, a visual or, like, aesthetic level that, that you could play with it more potentially. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I feel like uh, I'm thinking of, like, 70s directors who did a really good job of, like, portraying this sort of, like... um post-sexual revolution like liberated woman sort of thing uh and De Palma very much does a lot of that um let's see that was like Carrie and like Blowout especially sure yeah yeah um yeah I think the original has like a little bit of bloat that I would cut back on Mm -hmm. um so there's partway through the film it's introduced that this high school girl is missing and then there's this manhunt to find her And it's sort of a weird, at least to me, it feels a little bit like a, a digression or, and potentially because we're never shown what the connection is between those two things, it doesn't feel like it's necessarily connected to the rest of the plot, you know? Right. And I, I wonder, you know, potentially, I guess, if we did find out who the killer was, then the fact that this teenager was murdered might make kind of an interesting, uh, might, might play a role there. Mm-hmm. Or if the film is fundamentally about the kind of, um ineffable cruelty of the universe you know and just like and somebody else happened to be murdered the night before christmas or whatever right um but as it stands as it is right now that that kind of that moment and then when they're trying to trace the call that that scene goes on forever yeah yeah no i agree actually um i feel like uh i very much interpret the killer as this like force of as you said before like loss of innocence um, which is why, like, he's targeting specifically, like, young adult women who are, like, mm-hmm. coming into their own. Um, so to have, like, all the victims be, like, either high schoolers or sorority sisters, things like that makes a lot of sense. Uh, likewise, I feel like having the killer not be really, like, known also just makes a lot of sense. It's not really, like, this person who represents something. It's more like this something that represents something else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's an interesting... Because, like, I, I mean, I think people have really different responses to the ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, our friend Ismail, when we were watching it, oh, yeah. we got to the end and he was like, what was that? <laughs> but, like, the point isn't, like, to know who the killer is or, like, to have a backstory on the killer. The point is, like, what does the killer represent? What does it mean? Well, and I wonder if... And, I mean, this might, you know, come up... I imagine this will come up fairly heavily in our pitches. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think maybe the the structure of the film suggests kind of a whodunit. And then we have the twist that it's not the boyfriend. Yeah. But there's not the kind of follow-up and or follow-through. So it's it's not necessarily... Like, of course this doesn't bother you and I'm not surprised. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it, it's sort of that the ending doesn't deliver on what the film has suggested it's doing. Yeah. And it might be that, like, by not telling us who the killer is, that it is delivering on something else. Yeah. But I, it is, like, a, a whiplash kind of experience. I guess. I guess, like, 
when I was watching the film, I didn't really care about who the killer was necessarily, especially because we got extremely little background on the, that person themselves. Mm-hmm. Like the only kind of background he got was just their uh, weird ramblings while they were talking on the phone, mm-hmm. uh, which was basically nothing. Um, it, I feel I feel like what mattered more was like how these women responded to being killed, what they did in order to like protect themselves, things like that. That mm-hmm. was kind of the core of the film, not like this killer. Yeah, that's really fair. Well, so with that in mind, I think that that's actually a really good moment to transition to talking about the 2006 yes. remake. Yes. Because it goes the entirely opposite direction. It does, and I love it for it. <laughs> yeah. So just briefly, I'll summarize the differences in the remake. Because uh, the, the central plot is essentially the same. It's yeah. a group of sorority sisters who are going to be in their sorority house over winter break. And they start getting murdered one by one. Yeah. The major differences is that there's sort of this parallel plot where there's we see kind of the sorority sisters and you know them being murdered and what have you and then there's also the story of billy lens who's a young abused kid um who has a incest baby who for some reason has extremely yellow skin i thought that it was him that had like really yellow skin oh you're right so he has really yellow skin and then he has an incest baby with his mother yeah so, yeah, so Billy Lenz and his daughter Agnes, and we kind of yeah. see that story playing out in yeah. flashbacks. His daughter's sister. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and otherwise, you know, it's the same basic plot. Uh, there is no abortion subplot in this one, and it's it's much more heavily Christmas-themed. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, where I would say the original is, like, a horror movie that takes place at Christmas, this is a Christmas slasher. Yeah. Um... And it's just much more extreme with its, like, violence, nudity, language, what have you. Um, It's very kind of, like, early 2000s, like, yeah, we're pumping the gas. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, how did you feel about the remake? You know, like, if I'm looking at the remake objectively as, like, a piece of art, it fails, like, considerably. Yeah. In a lot of points. Mm -hmm. Just having the yellow incest baby. (laughs) (laughs) Is such a terrible decision uh, for, like, a killer. Um, Having that weird subplot that, like, only very vaguely connects to, like, the setting of the sorority house. Because, like, the the only thing that connects him is that, like, fucking that murderer just lived there when he was a child. And that's it. Right, right. Uh, So the connection's not really there. Um, Yeah, it's bad. Uh, I really like the characters, at least. The characters are cool. Um, they're a lot more, like, catty and, like, very much, like, early 2000s, like, late 90s sort of, like, teenage girls in a horror movie, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, so I like the characters a lot. Like, and in, in a non-objectively, like, artistic film sort of aspect, I think it's a really fucking fun film. <laughs> Yeah. It's so funny. I love it. Yeah, it's like a bad movie that's a blast. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, the violence is super over the top it's and really like the top. super Christmas related. Yeah. Like somebody is stabbed to death with a candy cane that's been yes. like sharpened. It's amazing. Like, that kind of stuff I think is really fun. Yeah, yeah. I think like Agnes gets killed by like a burning Christmas tree, if I remember right. 
Yeah, yeah. There's like a Christmas tree that's like decorated with eyeballs. Oh, yeah, I that think. Too, yeah. And they really go a lot more into like the eyeball imagery very directly. Yeah, yeah, really heavy on yeah, that. Yeah. If somebody's killed by getting pushed off a balcony and getting like speared by a Christmas tree. <laughs> Just like Billy and his daughter or sister eating the eyeballs as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so there's there's something too, I think, that it's like it's really trashy. Yeah. In is. in a way that I think is maybe really particular to that era. Oh yeah. Um so they're, you know, remaking a film that was relatively discreet with its use of violence and um yeah, just making it just absurdly over the top. Oh yeah. It's like while this like well while the original one was like um campy ish, uh, I feel like very much the two thousand six remake is very campy. It's very much like over the top with everything. Very like not of this world in in like a very sort of um extreme way. Yeah, and it, it feels like it knows that. Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. I think particularly in like the heavy focus on like Christmas themed murders. Yes. It it really feels like the, the, the filmmakers kind of went in and were just like, all right, balls to the wall. We're going to have the most absurd kills. We're going to have the yes. most kind of like Christmas-themed stuff ever in a horror movie. It's, it's so good. Yeah, I and it is, it is genuinely a good time. Yeah. At the same time as it's a pretty garbage and film. It's objectively really, really bad, but it's really fun to watch. It's like Troll 2, kind of. Yeah. But like not, not, not as inept as Troll 2. Yeah, when I, I think Troll 2 or something like The Room, there's like an innocence to them yeah. that it feels like they genuinely think they're making something good. And I think in this, they're like, we're going to make an exploitation film. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's a good time for that. Yeah, it is. It is. I honestly, like, as what it's trying to be, I don't have any qualms about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it was like a movie, like if it's trying to be like an actual like serious movie, there's so much wrong with it. Yeah. So much. Yeah. The, the biggest beef that I had with it is actually it's pacing again Mm -hmm. that I think the so so the nature of the film is that it kind of jumps back and forth between these flashbacks to Billy's life and it's usually some character comes in and just spouts exposition and we kind of cut to here's Billy as a little kid and to me it sort of feels like like those moments feel like pace killers yeah um and they're also, you know, there's not really anything scary in his scenes. It's just kind of gross things in his scenes. Also, like, disturbing which, shit that's yeah. happening. Which, you know, I mean, I am i don't necessarily have, like, a beef with it being disturbing or mm-hmm. being gross or what have you. But I, I think I kind of felt like those scenes didn't particularly add to the movie. Not really, no. No, I would agree. I feel like the whole Billy subplot um, was wholly unnecessary. Uh and this is, again, just, like, me liking the fact that we didn't know who the killer was mm-hmm. uh, in the first film. Like, if you're going to, like, change that, which I think is a fine decision, I guess, um, like, make it good. <laughs> like, yeah. Don't make it, like, this uh, yellow man <laughs> who has a daughter with his mom, and they're the killers for some reason. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty. Uh, yeah, it, it just it is just like absurdly over the top, and right. and I think that just the scenes themselves just aren't particularly enjoyable. No. So then it ends up being like like the sorority sisters are fun to watch, yeah. and their interactions with each other are fun, and the 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 Billy 
exposition scenes are very just like, all right, and so then he made cookies out of his mom's flesh and ate them. It's like, okay, Okay. all right, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Can't believe Bart Simpson was a killer all along. All along. (laughs) Yeah, is it it jaundice that makes your skin super yellow? It is, but jaundice still kills you. Mm. So, so, like, I have no idea what he has. Yeah, yeah, he's just born yellow and lives his entire life as, like, a weird yellow guy. Yeah, I mean, it's like... His, his dad, like, fought in the Vietnam War, so it's, like, almost a little bit implied that, like, Agent Orange or whatever had, like, an effect on him, but, like, it doesn't do that. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. make people yellow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What did you think about the the reveal that it's two killers at the end? Um, I didn't hate it. I just found it confusing mm-hmm. more than anything else. Because, like, um... At first, like, you, you kind of think that it's, like, one killer, um, and the only, like, the only, like, clear imagery you ever see of the killer is mostly Agnes. Mm-hmm. So, like, when it's revealed there are two killers, at least for me, I got confused as to, like, whether the person being shown was Agnes or Billy mm-hmm. until a little bit later on when it's, like, made very distinct that they're two different people. Yeah. There's also, so the, um... The way that the narrative kind of works is that we know that there's this girl who was her her father slash brother mm-hmm. was a murderer. She was uh, blinded in one eye and sent to an orphanage. Mm-hmm. And then I think we spend most of the movie like watching the sorority sisters and trying to figure out like okay, so like which one of them is evil? Yeah, that's it. Potentially, because yeah. we we know that Billy has escaped from prison. We learn that really early on in the film, mm-hmm. uh, like within the first few scenes, I think. And so the the second killer not being one of the sorority sisters felt like kind of a letdown. Yeah, that too. It did feel weird. Yeah, like it just sort of felt like we were following this mystery and attempting to solve it, and then it's just like, oh, it was actually a totally unrelated character. Yeah. I was expecting it to be that uh, I forgot her name because she like shows up for one scene. Uh, but that one sorority sister that, like, no one likes. Yeah, there's a girl who's kind of nerdy and has, like, really thick glasses yeah. and is really awkward. I always expected that to be her because, mm-hmm. like, sh- the scene in which she's shown up is after the scene where we learn about what happens to Agnes. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, kind of implied that they're, like, connected in some way. Also, the fact that she only shows up for, like, one scene and then is murdered. Right, kind of right. Weird. When it's sort of, like, that feels like an interesting red herring. Mm-hmm. But then the actual answer to the mystery is less interesting than that you know i think it's like the red herring isn't like developed enough i would Mm. say well yeah and so one of the so the half sister of one of the girls who lives in the house Mm. shows up uh to pick up her her sister from college we get the sense that there's been issues between them back and forth that they have a troubled relationship she's also a girl boss we love her yeah we do stand her she's awesome (laughs) But so she shows up and there's like points where it's kind of like, oh, maybe she's the one who comes right. in and does the murders. Or like, like there's so many characters that I think would be more interesting for that twist. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we kind of, when it's just revealed, it's like, oh, and it's these two random people. It's like, or yeah. like these two people that we knew it was all along and yeah. they were not, nobody was posing as a sister or anything. Right. I kept expecting one of the sorority sisters to suddenly, like, we realize, like, oh my god, she has a glass eye, but right. it just, that never happens. Oh, and I feel like, again, it comes back to the very weak connection between Billy's story and what's happening in the sorority house. Mm-hmm. Like, literally, again, the, the only connection is that Billy grew up in the, sor- in the house that would become the sorority house. That's it. Yeah, and I guess that it's, like, the, the Christmas theme. I mean, um, yeah, but <laughs> that's pretty much it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it is it's a very tenuous connection. Yeah. 
Yeah, pretty much. I also just loved how um, fucking everyone turned into Vin Diesel all of a sudden, where they're just like, we're sisters, we're family, <laughs> we stand <Yeah>. together. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Did you have any other like thoughts or feelings on the remake? I thought it was fun. I thought it was a really fun film. Um, there were definitely like things that could have been fixed um, to make it more fun. Uh, to make it like mm-hmm. a good film, you'd have to literally start from the bottom up uh, to like actually make it like a good, passable, respectable film. But uh, for what it's trying to be, I think it's fairly successful. Yeah, and I think if you were to like remake the remake, say. Mm-hmm. I think there's a ton that you could keep the same, and then it's just like, all right, how do we have a better way of getting across like the plot exposition, right. and how do we make the final reveal more interesting? Right. And then otherwise, it is just a really good time. But I think having having like those pace killing moments yeah. in a movie that's like absurd and over the top really hurts it throughout. I think. Yeah, no, I agree. I feel like while like the filmmakers knew what they were kind of trying to do. At the same time, they kind of also try to make, like, an actual, like, respectable horror movie. Which I feel like they shouldn't have tried to do that. Yeah, yeah, I think it tries to sit on both chairs and, like, somewhat falls in the middle of them, but but also somewhat pulls it off. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Cool. Well, so, let's talk about the 2019 reboot. Yes, the uh, very much clearly less successful of the Black Christmas, Black Christmas Eyes, Black Christmas Eyes, Black Christmasettes. Black, well, yes. Um, yeah. Really quickly, I do want to say, uh, just like trigger warning: this film deals, oh yeah, heavily with sexual assault. Yeah. Um, yeah. and so like that's that's gonna come up in both our summary, and then I'm sure we'll discuss it. Or I'm sure it'll be in our discussion fairly heavily as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we'll put time codes if you do want to skip past this part to our pitches. We'll include that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sexual assault plays a really, really big, big role in the movie. Yeah. Uh, so to summarize Black Christmas 2019, uh, so the film opens uh, with Hawthorne College student Lindsay being murdered by a masked person on the eve of winter break. So it's just a, like a nice like scream opening, like cold opening, just mm-hmm. this girl being murdered. Also, she makes like a nice little like snow angel right, <laughs> yeah. right before she gets killed. Uh, so after that, we follow Riley Stone, uh, a member of a sorority in the same college who struggles with PTSD after being raped by the president of a Delta Kappa Omicron fraternity, also in the same college, uh, Brian Huntley. Riley's sorority sister, Chris, has recently angered both uh, DKO, the fraternity, uh, and philosophy instructor, Professor Gelson, by requesting that a bust of the university founder be removed and that Gelson be fired for not including women, people of color, uh, or LGBTQ people uh, in his curriculum. Uh, Riley, Chris, and some of their uh, fellow sisters arrive at the DKO frat, uh, where they perform a song condemning the frat's rape culture, uh, which is clearly not taken well by the frat members. Uh, While there, Riley sees uh, some of the frat members engaging in initiation rituals, uh, for incoming um, members, a very cult-like sort of initiation ritual. Uh, the girls begin uh, receiving threatening texts from someone posing as the university founder, Calvin Hawthorne, uh, before members of the sororities start going missing one by one. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Riley begins to form a friendship uh, with Landon, a much less problematic, although still kind of problematic, 
<laughs> a boy from a rival frat. Uh, back in the sorority, the girls argue over the impact of their performance and its connection uh, with their harassment and the disappearances of fellow members of the sorority. Uh, after some time, the girls are attacked by a masked assailant uh, and discover the murdered bodies of one of their sisters. Uh, Riley and Chris end up killing the assailant before two more show up. Uh, the girls then kill uh, those two uh, before uh, they discover that the murderers are all DKO pledges. Also, a few members are killed, but we don't really care about them that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, R- Riley and Chris then split up uh, with Riley recruiting Landon to help her infiltrate the fraternity, uh, while Chris saves uh, fellow sorority members who are also attacked at a different sorority, but in the same college. Uh, at the frat, Landon is brainwashed into becoming a murderous pledge. Uh, so Riley discovers her fellow sister, Helena, tied up at the frat and attempts to rescue her before being knocked unconscious. Uh, see, Riley wakes up and is confronted by Gelson, Brian, and the other frat members who explain Hawthorne's spell that makes men murder quote-unquote unruly women uh, in order to keep them under their control. Helena likewise has been secretly working with the frat and she stole items from the sisters to initiate this ritual. Uh, however, she's killed pretty quickly after mm. she reveals this. Uh, Chris and her fellow sorority sisters uh, then break into the frat and attack the fraternity members, uh, with Landon joining in after he overcomes his possession. Uh, Chris goes toe-to-toe with Brian before she smashes the bust of Hawthorne. Uh, Chris then sets the frat on fire and the girls and Landon escape as the frat members are burned alive. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and that's how the film ends. Yeah. Yeah, God. Yeah, it's a... It's a deeply troubling film. Yeah. When I feel like I want to... I don't know. I, I feel very aware of being, like, a, a white dude who's, like, talking about, like, a reimagining of a film initially made by a white man right. that's, like, focusing on gender issues and being like, but it's terrible. Right. No, I agree. And, yeah, I, it is... It's so bad. It is really, really bad. It's. It was genuinely like kind of painful to watch uh, for me at a lot of points. Yeah. Um, and not in like a, a trauma rooted way, just in a like, what are they doing yeah. here kind of way. Yeah. Uh, I feel like a big, big problem with this movie is that it's trying to f- like explain or like combat these extremely like deep, like traumatic, sometimes complex like issues, uh, especially sexual assault and rape in college campuses and just in general. Um, while it's a PG-13 movie and while it's a Black Christmas movie. Which yeah. is, I think, a mistake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it ends up, it tries to juggle several things at once, mm-hmm. and I think it fails at each of them. Yeah. Like, it's, it, it just as a horror movie on a basic level, it's just not good. No. Like, it's, it's, not. it's, it's not scary, it's not well put together. I think we really feel the PG-13-ness of it. You don't really see, like, any of the victims, like, getting killed directly except for, like, a couple of them. And they're very, like, non-gory ways in which they're killed. Yeah, the violence is very tame. Right. Which, 
it, it always feels weird to me to be like, the violence is too tame in this film. <laughs> right. But it does, I think there's not like a good escalation or a sense of creeping dread or anything like that. And so I think the one thing that could make it scary potentially would be to have the kills be like surprising and shocking yeah. or like have some intensity to them. But it doesn't really do any of that yeah. well. No, most of the uh, actual like important impactful like killings are done off screen. Yeah, yeah. So strange. Yeah, so so there, I think it it generally just fails as a horror film, right? Mm-hmm. I think the the commentary on on gender just feels really poorly put together. Yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, like, I feel like there's a lot of layers and a lot of reasons of why that is. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of <laughs> like I'm saying this as like a, a mostly male identifying person. But, like, having, having like, the non-female kind of perspective being so, like, strawmanned to such an extent where, like, there are ultimately, like, no redeemable, even Landon, in my opinion, is not redeemable or shouldn't have been redeemable, like, characters, like, male characters in the film is an odd choice. When they're all, like, really extreme, yeah. right? So the, the professor uh, character is just, like, like he's, he's like, cartoonishly awful, yeah. you know? Or, or, or just, like, like all of the, the portrayals feel really awful. And so, like, rather than, you know, uh, say, like, rape culture in college being perpetuated by, like, some terrible people, a lot of people turning a blind eye. Right. Instead, it's, like, only the real extremes and this right. very kind of like black magic that makes them evil yeah i guess it pretty much just like excuses like their behavior by like saying oh they were possessed which is like um uh, i don't know about that yeah like i guess like as an allegory it doesn't work no and it's it's really weird because you know on, on some level it, I mean, so what I keep thinking about, and we talked about this last night, is Promising Young Woman. Yeah. Which is a phenomenal film, mm-hmm. um, which you haven't seen. I have right? not, unfortunately. No. It's dealing with similar subject matter and does it incredibly well. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of that is sort of how essentially that like rape culture isn't just perpetuated by you know really terrible people it's right. it's perpetuated by like an entire culture of people looking the other way or right. not taking responsibility right. or not confronting each other yeah that's kind of why i expected landon to be a much more like central character in like perpetuating rape culture even though he's like supposed to be this nice guy protagonist but he ends up just being like an ally i guess even though he's kind of creepy and really wants riley a lot throughout the film yeah i feel like he doesn't do anything bad in the film it's just that his vibe feels really weird it's very (laughs) yeah it's very uh michael Sarah in fucking scott pilgrim michael Sarah in everything Everything, (laughs) yeah 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 no I, i don't have any like active problem with him right i just think that he's like a poorly put together character and it sort of doesn't it doesn't help the fundamental problem right. the film has that it's just it just feels like a a, a kind of bad caricature yeah no of of these characters no i wanted a lot more nuance uh, especially because again this is a really complex like deep issue that a lot of people actually face in their lives um and instead i just got caricatures that really only work to like 
help assure people who already like disagree with things like rape culture and things like that feel better about themselves. Yeah, yeah. I think it's because the examples they give are really extreme, mm-hmm. it doesn't provoke self-reflection. Yeah. I think I mentioned, like, again, like, how Get Out is a really great yes. example of that. Because instead of, like, directing the villains as, like, these clear, like, people who are in the wrong in such an extreme amount, like conservatives, racist people, things like that, it focuses instead on neoliberals who would be watching this film uh, who would be like think that they're woke or that they're anti-racist when actually they're perpetuating racism. Like this film is not doing that. It's very yeah. much like centering the villain as like these really clear like caricatures of like sexism, rape culture, things like that, um, while not talking about any of the nuance of like how men especially, uh, who think that they're like woke, who think they're feminists and things like that, um, are also perpetuating rape culture. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think there's also the way that the film deals with Riley's trauma Yeah, feels very... So essentially, her sorority sister, Chris, is always kind of pushing her to be like, you just have to get over it, just like, you know, um, go and do things and, and be okay. And some, something about the way that that kind of pressure works and is built into her character arc, mm-hmm. I don't know I, I don't know if I can put my finger on why it feels wrong to me, but maybe it feels very, like, it's trivializing. I mean, like, there was one scene where, uh, I think, what, Fran, I think was her name, like, literally just tells her, like, after she did that whole performance at the, uh, at a fraternity that she won yeah like what did she win? <laughs> like you don't win like trauma you don't win like a, a fucking awful thing that happened to you you still have to deal with it like yeah. it, that that in that way it feels trivializing yeah yeah when maybe what it is is like the film deals with these issues on such a surface level mm-hmm. that sort of it's hard to get anything out of them and then all you're left with is like a pg-13 film that doesn't show like the violence that i think we would anticipate from a film of this kind but does have these flashbacks to riley's sexual assault which are they're not intense in and of themselves i guess but but it it feels very mismatched on some level it feels weird that we can like talk openly and um have um at least like implied depictions of uh, an actual sexual assault happening um, but we can't really show murder in the same way. Yeah, or like the characters never say fuck. Yeah, they, no, they say fuck once. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, they, they get fuck once one... in the film. They get their one fuck. Yeah, yeah. There's a moment while we were watching where somebody said like screw this or something. I was like, oh right. my god, this is a PG thirteen film. It is, a PG-13 and it's like film. early on enough that I like had this sinking feeling of like, oh, this is not going to be the movie that it like needs to be no. to deal with this stuff. No, no, no. It's dealing with way too much. Way, way, way too much. It's, yeah yeah not good yeah that said there are a couple things that are awesome yes there are there's a moment really early on where like <laughs> one of the one of the girls walks into her sorority sister's room and it's just like hey i need a diva cup <laughs> and like borrows her her sorority sister's diva cup and that. like puts it into her pants while making just dead-on eye contact with the other sister. It's amazing. There's no heterosexual explanation for that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, 
But it's also like there's like a three act structure like for the diva cup. There like is. it appears like three it times. appears at the end. It's one of the artifacts. Yeah. Is the diva cup. <laughs> Yeah, it's like the whole movie we were just like tracking like, all right, when's the Diva Cup coming back? <laughs> I really hope the Diva Cup like sponsored part of the movie. Yeah. I really hope they did. Yeah. When there's there's the scene near the end where, uh, so they're, they're, I don't know, in the ritual room or whatever mm-hmm. and Riley is kind of beaten and then, uh, or, or defeated, I guess. Mm-hmm. And the the other sorority sisters like burst through the door, and it looks like a scene out of like the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings film. Yes. Um, <laughs> one of the it's women amazing. is like wielding like a menorah as it's like a weapon. Amazing! It's such a slay scene. It slays so hard. <laughs> it's so awesome. <laughs> and I, I think that maybe like, yeah, like I, I think the film again is trying to balance all these different things. And and I think it's trying to have this kind of empowering ending of them all like coming together and right. murdering all the frat boys, which I'm totally down for like right. coming together and murdering all the frat boys. Right. But I don't think the tone of the movie really makes sense or works. And so it kind of trivializes things, has these occasional flashes of like, oh, what if this was just kind of an absurd over the top movie? Right. And then the actual kind of horror roots of it just feel really lost yeah no no i very much agree with it it doesn't really become a horror movie towards the end of it it more becomes like a weird uh cult action movie sort of yeah like in the last few scenes which is odd this is just occurring to me now but do you feel like your opinion on the film would be different if it wasn't titled black christmas yes yeah, I feel like one of the major uh, issues with it is that there is no connection to Christmas. <laughs> like the only the only connection to Christmas is that like it, ha- it it's happening during winter break. It's ha- like there's like some Christmas imagery, especially way at the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's no reason for it to be set in Christmas. There's no fundamental reason for it. They hardly ever reference Christmas at all. Yeah, yeah, there's there's something weird about it, because it, it's sort of, like, the, the Christmas side kind of plays into the, like, kind of over-the-top schlock side mm-hmm. of the film that I do enjoy. Right. So the, the first murder, you mentioned it in your in your summary, but the, yeah. the, this girl is murdered, and it essentially makes, like, a snow angel. Yeah. And and it's it's funny and silly and, and, and kind of over-the-top, and one of the other sisters is, is murdered by being strangled with um, a thing of Christmas lights. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, I, I think... I think, like, thematically, it doesn't really amount to much. Yeah, and and that's not a huge deal to me. Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, I'm not particularly tied to this this needing to be um, in the same spirit as the earlier films right. or, or, or what have you. Yeah, I think, honestly, like, I think even if it wasn't called Black Christmas and it was just, like, an entirely different film, mm-hmm. I think I would still pretty solidly dislike it i mean i would too i would absolutely still not like it i just feel like it'd be uh i'd I'd question less of like the entire movie like why is this in christmas how is this a black christmas film like it doesn't have any any real connection to the franchise like there's no thematic connection there's no uh plot connection there's really nothing that connects any of the films together with uh the, the remake which again i think is like it's fine to like have like these like extremely different elements and these extremely like different tones when you make a remake, but it has to 
in essence, like, feel like a remake. Yeah, and that's where I wonder if this being, considering this, like, a reboot versus a remake. Right. Maybe even if it's, like, a reboot, it should still, like, have some elements of, like, the original one. Yeah, and I, I feel like in a reboot, you're trying to recapture sort of the energy of something. Right. And this, yeah, it, it, it has these very token nods where, like, there's this um, glass unicorn oh, thing right. that's used as a murder weapon in the first two films. Yeah. That, like, appears in a shot. Appears once, and you, you like, blink and miss it. And it's, like, Chekhov's unicorn. Yeah. It just is totally useless. Yeah, um, which I feel like is such a missed opportunity. Because, like, the film is dealing, again, with, like, women's sexuality and, like, uh, women taking charge of their sexuality. So you use this, like, symbol of, like, feminine virgin virginity <laughs> yeah. to, like, kill someone, especially in this film, makes a whole lot of sense thematically, and they just don't really use it that way. Yeah, I mean, when we were watching, I literally, that shot happened, and I called it, like, oh, one of the sisters is going to kill one of the fraternity brothers using the unicorn. Right. And then it just didn't happen. No. <laughs> Which, you, I don't know, maybe that's too predictable, but, like... It, it, it was weird to have this sort of token nod to the original mm-hmm. that is literally, it's just a shot that is a nod to the original and, and, and otherwise there's no reason for it to be in the film. Right. No, I very much agree. I feel like, again, like, this film could be set at any time and I think that's kind of a problem when it's, like, titled Black Christmas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, think, I think that's really fair. It's also just... I don't know. I just think it's kind of boring. It is very boring. It has a very much uh, okay. So I think one of the one of the other like major issues that I have with it is that it's trying to be, I think, moderately self aware as mm-hmm. as a horror film. You know, it's it's not like Scream or something where right. they're kind of constantly calling back, but it's I think trying to do this kind of like knowing reversal of the tropes mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. But then the ways that the characters act when they're actually in danger are like every bit as dumb as in like any of the trashy like Halloween or Friday the 13th sequels right where just the decisions they make are really frustrating to watch yeah and and it's the kind of thing that I I feel like I don't know I I can maybe like excuse it a little bit more in like an older campier film Mm -hmm. and maybe in part it's because if this film is kind of trying to be about empowerment it's really frustrating to watch the characters just making really dumb decisions yeah no I agree there's really only one scene of like female empowerment in the entire movie and that's when the, uh, all the sorority sisters come and kill the frat boys <laughs> which I feel like is why I really love that scene yeah 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 <laughs> but like besides that like all of the sorority sisters like are very much placed as like victims without autonomy like they're just like uh, people who are killed people who are like trapped people who are like injured um, and they can't do anything about it yeah, and I, I I guess I wonder, you know, thematically, I'm not sure how you handle that in specifically a horror movie, yeah, that like right. part of the, the power of a slasher is the character yeah. being hunted and then at the end kind of coming back and taking back their agency. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think, I guess kind of part of the problem is that just like the characters almost like talk so much about like issues like of femininity and taking uh, agency uh, of like what's happening to them like taking action things like that like for example like when uh they did the the 
the song at the fraternity. I feel like mm-hmm. that was a really good example of them actually doing that. Uh, but then, like, their reaction to it after, like, when they were arguing at the sorority house where, like, uh, Riley is being, like, this isn't, like, inspiring anyone. This is just, like, harassing. This is just, like, leading to harassment. And the other one, girls were just, like, no, this is, like, important and inspiring. And there's, like, 50,000 views and things like that. Where it's just, like, uh, it almost feels like they're just doing it for recognition. It's it's a weird. I think the 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 scene has a very, like kind of, uh, God, we were talking about this last night, I cannot stand the, like, sexy Christmas thing yeah. as a thing just, like, grosses me out on some level, uh, and I, I don't know, I don't know why that is, um, but it's a very kind of, like, Santa baby, like, dance routine right. at this fraternity, and it just turns out that the song is about sexual assault, right. and just, something about that scene just feels really uncomfortable to right. me, um, because it is very much, I don't know, maybe, like, because it's very much, like, sexualizing the characters mm-hmm. i don't know i don't know how to what to do with that scene i i, I didn't really mind it that much mm-hmm. personally i feel like they were uh, again it, it was kind of like a way of them to like take charge of their uh, sexuality mm-hmm. to be like uh we're these like sexy uh, archetypes but actually we're here to like talk about <laughs> how the way you treat us is fucked up i thought mm-hmm. that was really really great yeah um, Again, it's just, like, the way, the reaction, the way that they, like, reacted to, like, what they did was kind of a problem for me. Yeah, no, and I, th- I think that's a really fair reading. And I, I think maybe it just comes down to, like, there is nothing that makes me cringe quite as intensely as, like, sexy Christmas stuff. Okay, that's, I mean, valid, yeah, and I understand. So, so, yeah, so I'm not sure, like, really, it might just be that my, like, reaction to it is just that, like, for whatever reason, right. that to me is, like, nails on a chalkboard. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just, like, a broad, like, life thing. Yeah, no, I understand. I yeah. feel like, again, like, kind of going in a similar route, like, to, like, have, like, this film that's supposed to be, like, extremely, and I don't want to keep saying woke, because I don't like the term woke, but it's supposed to be, like, this very, like, uh, aware, I guess, mm-hmm. sort of a film uh, about gender um, and about rape culture, uh, to have it, like, exclusively... Yeah, pretty much exclusively focus on the perspectives of uh, cis straight people, or at least presumably cis straight people, and especially like the main character being a cis straight white woman Mm -hmm. is, I feel like it's not talking about something that should be talking about, or it's like, it's, it's missing like a big like chunk of like other things that kind of go into it. It's not very, it's not intersectional, I guess I, I would say. Which, like, is something that I would, like, expect from a modern movie that talks about, like, these issues. Yeah, well, and what it might be is, like, the, the film uses its characters as, like, mouthpieces. Yeah. So, like, there's there's one character who, like, her whole personality is, like, she's the woke girl, right? right. And and so she's the one who talks about, like, the, the curriculum in this philosophy class. Right. Um, that know, only like, being white dudes. Like, th- that also doesn't make sense. Because, like, the first thing in which we're introduced to that class, they're talking about, like, a, f- like, a woman who uh, who's talking about, like, I don't know what they're talking about, I don't remember. But they're talking about, like, a, a female person in- that they were supposed to, like, a reading in. Mm-hmm. So, like, there was a woman in the curriculum, but that contradicts, like, what the uh chris was like arguing or like protesting against that there were no women or people of color or queer people in the curriculum 
Yeah, it's it's a weird thing. And I, I think what it comes down to for me is that it's sort of like the film talks a big talk it as does, far yeah. as dealing with kind of social issues, but he's like really bad at like walking the walk with them. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Like it doesn't, it doesn't talk about any of the nuance of like how race or sexuality plays into um, sexual assault, which is odd uh, for like a, again a modern film about uh, gender and sexuality. Um, and it doesn't like the entire time I was also thinking like like why aren't there like any trans or non-binary perspectives as well and i feel like i i I, it's it's fine to like make a movie that doesn't talk about those perspectives necessarily but like to have the movie focus so much on like these uh contemporary issues uh it makes you wonder like why are they only focusing on this one very narrow perspective i think that's fair yeah I, i think there's there's maybe just generally an issue that like sexual assault on college campuses and the kind of whitewater washing of college curriculums yeah. are like huge issues that are really worth dealing with yeah but they're and i you know i'm sh- i i think I, that they're interconnected on some level yeah but it feels like by like trying to bring up and deal with both it's sort of there's not space in the film to actually yeah. deal with it either particularly well yeah they're like i guess my thing is like they're only bringing it up like once <laughs> like they only yeah. ever like bring up uh issues uh, outside of like uh the sexual assault of white cis straight women uh once mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is like why you didn't bring it up at all yeah it, it, it feels just like unfocused i think yeah. overall yeah it's it's a really weird movie because i think I want to be on the side of the film, you know? And I I think that, like, horror can be really good at dealing with with contemporary issues, you know? And, um, again, to uh, Promising Young Woman, it's it's not a horror film, I wouldn't say, Mm -hmm. but it it, it does that so well. And and so I feel like I've I've seen these issues tackled in, in films in, like, a really powerful, impactful way. Right. And, and so there's something particularly frustrating about the kind of, you know, intense lack of, of, of nuance in the way that the whole film is done. Yeah. No, it's, uh, again, I, I, I appreciate what the, what the film is trying to do. Uh, I think like the message of the film is very valid. I just feel like, um, it was extremely unsuccessful at like portraying that message. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, yeah, I, I think if it were at least, like, a more entertaining film, yeah. I would have, me, I, I would be less bothered by how shallow it is. Yeah. But I think it's, like, both shallow and not particularly fun. Right. Minus yeah. the Diva Cup, which is awesome. The Diva Cup is amazing. We stand the Diva Cup. We stand the Diva Cup, and we stand the sorority sisters killing the frat boys. This episode of uh, Return to the Tall <laughs> Podcast is brought to you by Diva Cup. <laughs> the next time you need to murder a house full of evil frat boys... Choose Diva. It is, um, we were talking about this last night, that there's multiple things that I think you could, like, rip out of this movie and turn into a better film. Yes. Like, the cult of murderous frat boys, I think, could be a blast. I I think that could be such a fun horror movie, but I think it would have to be schlock horror. Like, I don't think the kind of serious... I don't know. I it's it's hard for me to imagine that being played straight. Like I think mm-hmm. 
by at heart that's like the plot of like a really absurd B movie that could be really fun, but I don't know if it would be able to deal with the same issues. I think it's like um again it comes back to like trivializing almost like a, what this is supposed to represent. Or like if like the men are only like doing this because of this weird cult thing, then it's not then the the problem isn't that like a rape culture in frat houses and college in general is a uh, a big issue that happens um it becomes more like uh cults are bad <laughs> like yeah. or like cults make people do these things which is like not what the film's trying to say yeah yeah like making the movie about brainwashing yeah. is a weird move it is it is i feel like uh, and i think i mentioned this before even though i'm not like the biggest fan of midsummer like i feel like it did this a lot better mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah well and it's even i mean i feel like i'm thinking about this brainwashing plot mm-hmm. sort of that like it's kind of like if get out had like two of the characters were actually bad and the rest of the characters taking part in the system were brainwashed right i think that would massively undercut like the the what the work the film is trying to do yeah yeah it's like the characters aren't brainwashed they're just like doing what um any other person who would potentially be in the audience would would do. Oh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're doing neoliberalism. Yeah, they're doing neoliberalism, yeah. And in this case, right, I feel like this film, that's what it should be targeting, potentially. Yeah. Is, is, yeah. yeah. It absolves neoliberals instead of, like, critiquing them. Yeah, yeah, nice. Cool. Well, do you have any, any last thoughts on this 2019 film? Bad. Bad. Bad, bad diva cup attacking rap boys and the rest is bad. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I would be, I'd be really interested to see how other folks have responded to this film. I don't, I don't know if I know anyone besides us and our friend Alexis who watched it with us last night, who, who've seen it, but it was. And it has a really not, well, it has a not great IMDb score. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's like a 48% of like audience score on IMDb, which is still bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was really surprised. Um, you know, like I wasn't expecting to have like my mind blown. Right. But it was really painful to watch. It was, yeah, very painful. Very, very painful. Yeah. Well, so let's move into our final segment then. Nice. Uh, and let's talk about pitches. All right. I think you would kind of have to rework the entire film in order to make it good, or, or in order to make a good um, remake or reboot of Black Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not entirely sure, like how deeply you want to like go into these social issues with Black Christmas as like your base. <laughs> right, right. Um, but I mean, like. I think at at the core of like what the movie is trying to do and kind of like the the setup of it isn't bad. Like to have like um this cult this murderous cult of um frat boys killing these uh, sorority sisters, I think is good. Like we mentioned, I think is a good idea. Um but again instead of them being brain brainwashed, they're just regular frat boys. Again, mm-hmm. would make sense. Um I don't know something get less convoluted as well. Yeah, I don't know if I would also. I don't know if I would talk necessarily or take. Take like a big issue like sexual assault, um, and make it so like extremely central uh, to the plot. 
I mean, I feel like it's important to like talk about it even in the film, but I feel like it's not something that's like you can responsibly like discuss at length in a film like this. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a tough one. Yeah, I think I um, am potentially going to contradict everything we've just said. Love that. So my pitch is to actually go back to the original film mm-hmm. and really centralize the abortion subplot. Mm. Um, I think it's really interesting. Um, so, so my image is that we reset the film in the United States mm-hmm. in 1972. Oh, yeah, I like that. Um, and so we have. Uh, so my image is like uh, we open in a Catholic church, and the priest is his sermon is talking about the moment that Mary realizes she's pregnant, um, and like the fear that she might have felt in that time. Um, and we have our main character Jess. Um, filing out of the church with the rest of the congregation and she has like a positive pregnancy test uh, in her in her purse um, and so then she wants to get an abortion her boyfriend Peter wants to keep the baby and I'm imagining him as kind of alternately like super controlling mm-hmm. and then really sweet and easygoing and like yeah. loving and then like really cruel or, or you know that he's very like dual-sided yeah um, and so Jess has to actually get in touch with, like, a black market doctor, you know, basically has to, like, set up this abortion under the table. Right. Um, and then we kind of run with the same sort of creepy phone calls, uh, you know, sisters going missing. Mm-hmm. And then I'm not sure what the twist at the end is, but I would, I think I would tie it really closely to this decision of around the abortion right. and and the kind of time and place that she's sort of um, having to like navigate that in. Um, and also the kind of toxic male presence that's mm-hmm. trying to like pressure her out of it. And almost like, like I think like uh, something we mentioned is that like this film doesn't feel Christmassy or doesn't feel like it, it's Black Christmas, which mm-hmm. is a big, uh, big issue with it. Uh, something like, Christmas, abortion, Jesus, like, maybe the twist is that she's pregnant with Jesus. <laughs> Her, like, insane religious boyfriend thinks that she's carrying the Son of God. Oh, yeah, I can remember, yeah. He could have, like, yeah. this weird, um, what is it, like, Jerusalem syndrome, I think it was, where, like, people go to, um, like, holy sites like Jerusalem and suddenly believe that they like they've gone through like the literal religious experiences, and I think the stereotype is like that they believe they're they're Jesus, the second coming of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Maybe it could be something like that, where it's just like this dude going through like, an deep, a deeply like religious psychosis. He thinks that like his baby is literally Jesus. So that actually, I think, is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that because I, I think maybe like what I'm thinking about in this pitch is really trying to get in touch more with the kind of more somber, sacred sort of side of Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can still have the you know um, all the shock kind of schlocky accoutrements that we right. have. Um, yeah, I like that. I think the question then is sort of why would he be murdering the other sorority sisters and calling the house? And I, I don't have that figured out in my pitch at all because sexism. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> there's a there's a deep connection between like extremely uh religious fundamentalist and sexism. So Oh, I mean absolutely, yeah. Um yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's sort of uh Yeah, I really like that idea of the the religious psychosis kind of cuz then I think that ties together like 
the Christmas setting, mm-hmm. the pregnancy, the kind of controlling male presence. Yeah. You know, it, it feels thematically tight. Yeah. It's and then it's the Christ back in Christmas. <laughs> putting the Christ back in Black Christmas. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But yeah, so then it's just really a, a question of like motivation. Like, why does he, uh, why does he make the phone calls and do the murders? And maybe we don't even need the phone calls, but I think we still need the murders. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Maybe we need to like do like <laughs> do like this Midsummer thing where it's just like this dude who just like seems really cool, but is actually part of this like fucking weird religious cult, or like mm-hmm. who uh, is actually like deeply, deeply. Um, psychotic into like these having these like delusions of religiosity yeah yeah like one of these like sorority girls is like dating and has a baby with uh, and then he starts going nuts yeah maybe um maybe he sees it as kind of like he's killing like the bad influences in her life yeah. so like the sister that's like affirming her decision to have an abortion right he, like might kill the like underground um abortion doctor right um, and so maybe that's kind of like what's mo- motivating to kill the, the, that he like wants to protect her and the baby, but wants to remove the other influences. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense for like a deeply conservative religious figure to want to murder these, um, quote unquote liberated women mm-hmm. who are like doing things like drinking, having casual sex, smoking, things like that, mm-hmm. especially in the seventies. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's an interesting hypocrisy there that then like he's obviously been having sex. Right. <laughs> right. And, and, and that's interesting in its own right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that a lot. I'm going to make a good film. I'm going to make a good Black Christmas. Yeah. Any, um, any final thoughts? Mm-hmm. Good films, except for the last one. I like, I enjoyed, I enjoyed, enjoyed um, the first two for very different reasons. Um, the, mm-hmm. the third one made me sad. Yeah. No, I'm right there with you. If uh, viewers want to have some uh, counter-programming this, this <laughs> Christmas season or this, this holiday season, the first Black Christmas is like a fun kind of old-school 70s horror. Yeah. 2006 one is an absurdly over-the-top, you know, gore fest. Yep. And the 2019 one would prompt some interesting reflection. It would uh, ask you why it's a Christmas movie. Yeah, it would ask you a lot of whys. Yeah, a whole lot of whys. Cool. Well, thank you so much for listening, folks. And have a wonderful holiday, and we'll be back sometime in the new year. Have a great holiday and new year if you go by the uh, Judeo-Christian calendar, I guess. Uh, Yeah, I guess so. Like Gregorian calendar? Yeah. Yeah, Gregorian calendar. (laughs) All right, cool. Bye, folks. Bye. Return to the Telepodcast is a production of Silent Machine Studios, featuring music by My Silent Machine. If you enjoyed this episode, like, subscribe, and do whatever else you usually do with podcasts, I don't know. Thank you for listening.